Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Happy Tuesday, everybody. October 27th, 2020. The week after. That's the best way to describe it. Um, There used to be a movie back in the 80s about nuclear war called The Day After. So anytime something like what happens on Saturday happens, I always like to use a reference. Um, And so this is the week after South Carolina went to Baton Rouge. It got thoroughly dismantled 52 to 24 by LSU. Uh, and in times like this, you know, sometimes you got to phone a friend. And so that's what we're doing here on the podcast today. Uh, for those of you that aren't patrons of the lot on the Gamecocks podcast, first of all, I highly recommend it. Uh, you've got several options over there now to go do that. But this is probably the first time you've heard Keith Alsep, our guest, and I together um, in quite a while. So, Keith, uh, welcome into ITG. Uh, it's good to be with you today, and uh, so happy that you're joining me. Man, JC, it's great to be with you. Just a big no doubt about it. Any chance we get to talk about the Gamecocks, I'm all, I'm down, I'm down with it, ready to roll. Even with the Bayou disaster, the Bayou blowout that we witnessed uh, Saturday night. Just a just a tough game all the way around. I mean, South Carolina averages seven point nine yards per play on offense, but that uh, I guess that was a bright spot. There were a couple of bright spots we'll get to here in a minute, but overall, you know, South Carolina's defense got thoroughly whipped uh, by an offense that you know had been good, Keith, but their starting quarterback was out, and that was really what they had done best uh, heading into the game. Um, there were. Uh, six teams heading into that game uh, that were playing football right now at FBS that had averaged less than 100 yards game, 100 yards a game rushing. Uh, LSU was one of them, uh, and South Carolina could not seem to stop the run or the pass. Uh, LSU did not punt. LSU had a time of possession advantage by about 15 minutes uh, in the football game. Uh, T.J. Finley, very good in his debut, 17 for 21 for 265 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, LSU's running backs, Tyrion Davis, Price, John Emery combined for 40 carries. Um, and um, I, I think it was a 223 yards uh, for those guys. The Gamecocks just, man, they have some defensive issues right now that I just don't know, you know, when you give up that many yards and that many points and you can't get off the field <laughs> – I don't care who you're playing. Your chances of winning are very, very slim. Um, you know, that was kind of the broad picture, I think, in the game, uh, the second quarter. You know, you're coming in the second quarter 10-7, uh, and you have a pick six during that quarter, um, and they really ran it up to 31-10. Then in the third, you know, you, you pull it within 31-17. You got some momentum to start the second half. People have come back from larger deficits than that. Uh, and then you give up a 93-yard kickoff return, so special teams, which seems to rear their ugly head in situations like this, uh, happened. Uh, Gamecocks dominated on the line of scrimmage uh, during this football game. Um, it's a line of scrimmage league, as people say. 
you know, just not a good look. And now, Keith, there's an open date. So everybody's got two weeks to kind of stew on this one until the Gamecocks get back in action for a night game at home against Texas A&M. And it goes without saying the Gamecocks hadn't had a lot of success against the Aggies over the years. No, well, no success. To me, J.C., you know, you certainly laid it all out. Here's the deal is you got to get off the field on defense, okay? Like you said, LSU comes into this game averaging less than 100 yards per game rushing. Yes, they've got Terrence Marshall. They've got Eric Gilbert. They've got uh, several other really good wide receivers that, you know, South Carolina wishes they had to go with Shai Smith. Uh, But it is a line of scrimmage league, and – Look, South Carolina did lose three valuable seniors. Obviously, Javon Kinlaw, a first-round pick. Kobe Smith, who had a very unsung senior season because he got lost amongst the Kinlaw and the D.J. Warnham and the Ernest Jones talk and the Israel McQuamu talk. But in year five, you don't expect a Will Muschamp defense coming off a historic win to go on the road and be absolutely pulverized because going into this game, J.C., you knew your left tackle's out, your starting quarterback's out, you're starting a three-star kid that was in high school that's never thrown a pass in college. So you know LSU's going to run the football. And the opening drive of the game, 16 plays, 75 yards, 14 of those 16 plays were runs, and after that, Gamecocks score on three plays. And after that, it, J.C., it was just never competitive as South Carolina's defense looked like they were still celebrating the Auburn win or there were a bunch of imposters out there because South Carolina just got absolutely abused at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, and, and that was unfortunate. You know, and I've, I've kind of been harping on that a lot. Or cons- I don't know about harping. Concerned. Uh, heading into the season, you just kind of looked at the interior and, you know, you, you kind of went, well, they, they really need Rick Sandage uh, to be good, better than he has been. Um, you know, they need Zach Pickens to play a lot. Uh, you know, you kind of looked at that. That depth on the interior was a, a concern of mine through the preseason, but – you know, you look and it, it hadn't, you know, hadn't really reared its ugly head like it did Saturday night. South Carolina's been pretty solid against the run. There, there have been exceptions. You know, you look at the, the drive against Tennessee in the third quarter. Um, you look at the fact there wasn't a whole lot of pressure on Trask against Florida. You know, Vandy had some success in the run game. So did Auburn. But you know, I think they were hanging in there. Uh, you know, th- that's what was so surprising to me, um, and really the fact that. You know, they didn't really try, it seemed, uh, uh, schematically or otherwise, to get to Finley. I mean, so the question becomes, well, if they're not loading up to stop the run uh, and they're not trying to get after a freshman quarterback taking his first snap, you know, what were they trying to do on defense Saturday night? What was the idea, you know, behind the defensive game plan or the defensive calls? Because it just seemed like they were – you know, very vanilla, and they got put on kind of on roller skates and pushed around and never responded, never responded. Didn't respond once in that football game. 
Yeah, I mean, LSU does not punt the entire game. Uh, they did have the one turnover, uh, the one bad throw by T.J. Finley uh, to Israel McQuamu. Gamecocks did not capitalize on that. Gamecocks were not good in the red zone. I thought the only bright spot was, you know, the run game. Obviously, Kevin Harris had two runs of over 45 yards. And you also had a breakout by Kevion Mullins, uh, two catches for over 100 yards. But, I mean, look, J.C., that was not an anomaly, guys running wide freaking open against Bo Pelini's defense, okay? Mississippi State did it, and Missouri did it, and Florida certainly would have done it. But defensively, and I get people are upset. They want Colin Hill to be benched. You know, Colin Hill would probably be the first to tell you he had a bad game. He held on to the ball. Uh, it's like his internal clock had a major malfunction. He stared down the Jalen Brooks on the pick six. Um, but when you can't stop somebody on defense the whole game, they're over 500 yards of total offense. I mean, that's really the root issue. And quite frankly, without the turnovers from Bo Nix, J.C., it would have been two weeks in a row that South Carolina would have just been abused in the run game. Tank Bixby had 111 yards on 16 carries. Bo Nix had a number of explosive plays in the run game. Fortunately, though, Chad Morris is a moron and wanted to let Bo Nix throw it or run it 62 times. And, you know, LSU just didn't throw it away three times and give the Gamecocks three red zone chances for touchdowns, and the Gamecocks were not as good in the red zone as they have been. And then you have, you know, Parker White missing – Two chip shot field goals, a 34-yarder, a 40-yarder, and Will Muschamp's inexplicable decision to try a 55-yard field goal. I mean, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And J.C. Parker White is not, not going to hit a 54, a 55, or a 57-yard field goal, which you trotted him out for against Georgia last year. Uh, when you had fourth and four at, like, the Georgia 40-yard line, to me, you have a better chance of getting four or five yards there than Parker White making a 57-yard field goal. And... I think there's something wrong with Will Muschamp's football clock because he just continues to make these poor decisions and he continues after every big win, J.C. I broke it down and call it the anatomy of a blowout, but it's a larger pattern that we can get into going all the way back to 2017 to where for the Gamecock fan base, Every time you start feeling good about Will Muschamp and the Gamecocks, it's like Lucy and Charlie Brown with the football. She just pulls it right back, and Charlie Brown misses and goes way up in the air because he's trying to kick the crap out of the football and falls and busts his behind. And that's how the Gamecock fan base felt and is feeling right now. And there's a lot of angst 
in consternation among Gamecock Nation this week with another abysmal failure to capitalize on momentum by Will Muschamp. I mean, you're right. And, and I, I talk about that a lot here on, on the podcast about getting the rug pulled out from under you, but that Lucy and the football analogies were spot on. I mean, it's just, you know, the same things keep happening and, and you're right. You go back to 2017, Kentucky, you go back to 2018 after beating Ole Miss and Tennessee, and then you got Florida on the ropes and boom. Uh, then you sell out all the bowl tickets because people are feeling good because one side of the ball played well against Clemson. People ignore the second half of the Akron game. Akron game, you get shut out by Virginia. Then you got all summer uh, to stew on that and get ready to go to Charlotte and get redemption. And you blow a 20 to 9 lead by giving up 200 yard drives uh, in the fourth quarter and lose to North Carolina for the first time since 1991. Um, moving on, you claw back, you beat Kentucky and Georgia. You lose to Florida, played well, lost in the fourth quarter yet again, bad calls, all that. And then, you know, so so this game, LSU, I think is much more like the trip to Knoxville last year, unfortunately, Keith, where, you know, there were some good moments offensively. Uh, the defense, obviously, I thought played better last year against Tennessee, but you're still giving up big plays, and it was a surprise because coming into that game, there was nothing – I mean, Tennessee had trouble crossing the 50 against anybody with a pulse, and they lined you up for 41. Now, LSU's offense had been pretty good this year so far, but, again, backup quarterback, freshman in his first game, left tackles out. You know, it's kind of – LSU's kind of been team turmoil this year. Uh, and you go down there and, and you get – you just aren't even competitive defensively and you get blown out. So, um, you know, like, like we were talking earlier, it would have been a different story – you know, had it been a close game, Terrence Marshall makes a great play at the end to win it, you know, something like that. But this one wasn't even competitive. It was embarrassing. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about bright spots. You know, Mullins actually, that's good for his confidence moving forward. Um, and I'm happy for that. Uh, I don't really know where Nick Muse was Saturday night. Um, and then look, Kevin Harris averaged 10 yards a carry, 12 carries for 126 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, I think we can safely say he's becoming legit, legit. Uh, And then Deshaun Fenwick averaged over seven yards a carry yet again uh, with his solid, you know, seven for 68 or whatever. So 19 carries for 175 yards for the two backs, which I thought was good. Um, You know, you mentioned Colin Hill. And, I mean, I take a lot of heat because of Colin Hill. Uh, but I think I, I think I pretty much take heat for all the quarterbacks. Uh, you know, <laughs> took a lot of heat for Jake Bentley. <laughs> um, I still think he's the best quarterback option on the team, unless you wanted to radically do something different, like you know, play Luke Doty and run, 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 run with the quarterback and otherwise. But that's not really Mike Bobo. Um, but I, yeah, he he did not have a good game. It was not his best performance. Uh, he probably needed to. I think there was an opportunity there. Uh, but when you don't punt, when you, I mean, you don't force a punt and you give up 570 yards of total offense, you know, it, it's hard to point fingers at the at your own offense uh, uh, in terms of, um, you know, I mean, what would you expect them to win, 53-52? I don't know. Maybe you could have. But uh, that that's just – it's hard to sit there and hang it all on Colin Hill – when the defense was just a debacle 
And, and my question to you, Keith, is why? Why? Uh, South Carolina's got per- – I know that they, they're a little light on the defensive line, but they have personnel on defense. This is not – the defense from Will Muschamp's first year where you had guys that couldn't run and, you know, you had some issues back there. You had to mask the safety positions gotten better. I think it's not the liability like it was. I mean, you know, why, 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 why does this defense, why did it lay an egg like it did? That That's just of all the things you thought about Will Muschamp when he took the job, that's the one thing that's just shocking that you would not expect. I mean, I agree. And JC, coming into the season, I think you and I were in agreement that the strength of this team for 2020 was the lines of scrimmage. Uh, Certainly the offensive line after a shaky start, primarily due to the fact Jaston Turnentine had to play his way back into shape. Um, They were shaky and You know, they gave up some pressures against LSU, but a lot of that, Colin Hill ran into a couple of sacks, and like I said, he held on to the ball too long at other times. But defensively, you looked at it. You got J.J. Enigbare. You got, you know, Keir Thomas and Jabari Ellis, two fifth-year Seniors. You've got Zach Pickens, a five-star, who's a sophomore. You've got Rick Sandage, who was the number one recruit in the 2018 class, 6'5", 300 pounds. You know, and you got other guys. And then you've got your freshmen. You know, look at Tonka Hemingway. He's been the surprise of camp. He started the first or the last two games. Jordan Birch you know, certainly looks like a a big-time player. You know, Boogie Huntley, unfortunately, has had an ankle. Like, we'll finally, you know, see what he can do the second half of the season. But you were not concerned. You were more concerned about safety and linebackers not named Ernest Jones. And I still think that's the case because of the Sherrod Green injury. I think you essentially are down to one uh, SEC caliber linebacker in your starting uh, group. Brad Johnson has been on the back of a milk carton all year. He's had a bunch of busts and bad plays. Uh, he get, gave up the flea flick, flicker play in the flat, trying to be a hero. Uh, he let Bo Nix break contain when they were stalking the pocket late in that game and let him get out for big runs on that last big run. Uh, down on the Carolina bench when Shiloh Sanders body blocked him out of bounds. and But the, the problem's been up front. And as great a game as Keir Thomas had against Auburn, he got dominated because he's 270 pounds. And, you know, you probably need to have him at one end and – you need to have J.J. Anigbare at the other end, and you need to have Jabari Ellis and Zach Pickens in there, and you need to be doing some run blitzes and crowding the box against LSU because you've got a true freshman, and you want to make him beat you. And honestly, that hadn't happened the last two weeks, J.C. Auburn, 481 yards total offense, 209 yards rushing. Clearly the difference was the Bo Nix interceptions. LSU, 541 yards of total offense, 276 yards on the ground. 
That's why the Gamecocks need to be playing. They need to have more yards rushing than passing because the backs have been good. They've been controlling the clock. But, you know, that just did not happen because of the, you know, the turnover. Will Muschamp calls it the middle eight, J.C., and LSU scored a touchdown with uh, just under four minutes to go. They got a pick six with uh, not much time to go in the half. And then they got uh, the kickoff return for a touchdown right after Carolina takes the opening drive of the second half down and cuts it to 31-17. to That made it 38-17. And the game was basically over at that point yeah ended any chance of victory that kickoff was not good and you know the Gamecocks did have their chances even after 31-10 at half uh when they scored there I felt a little bit better I was like well surely the defense will make some adjustments and they'll play better the second half and you know Carolina was moving the football especially on the ground but yeah I'm with you and and look you know the the this team is not going to win very many football games unless they control the clock and the time of possession is in their favor and all that. And that's happened through the first four games. And then it's, you know, 15 minutes LSU was on the field longer than Carolina. Uh, it's almost like LSU just lined up and said, we're LSU and you are South Carolina. And this is what we're going to impose our will on you. And I I was concerned about that, but then I was like, I mean, LSU sort of made a decision as a program last year to go with more passing and air raid. And I was like, well, are they just going to give up what their new identity is? And and they didn't, they actually masterfully worked the run game in to what they do offensively, which is spread the field and, and, and beat you with their athletes. So you know, they played a good game, but I mean, I, I still big picture wise, Keith, I just don't know, you know, we're halfway through this season. Uh, I think this is a season of opportunity uh, for anybody in the Southeastern conference, to be honest, because you look at the results week to week and some coaches were talking at the beginning of the year, Keith, like it, like it was going to be like the NFL where you're just never going to know. Uh, and that's the case. I mean, you want to talk about time of possession. Missouri had it for 43 minutes against Kentucky and beat Kentucky after Kentucky goes to Tennessee and whips them. Um, it's just uh, it's just unpredictable week to week. So, so but, but if you're the Gamecocks, you like that because you have an opportunity, you know, to go out there and, and get some momentum as a program. Nobody was talking about Carolina at the beginning of the year. It's been the least relevant this program has been for a long, long time. And you have a chance to establish that against some teams that maybe aren't as good as they normally are. And then you go and you get whipped like this. And it's just right back down the ladder. It's like you're climbing a ladder and you get smacked right down. With, and and I, I feel bad enough for the team and the coaching staff, but I feel 10 times worse for all the loyal fans out there that, that every time, like you said, that they, they start to believe – they start to kind of relax and, and have the least little bit of excitement, you know, they get smacked back down that ladder. Right. And JC, you're correct. I mean, you know, this year when you looked at it right before the year, nobody needed Coastal Carolina. Granted, they're in the top 25 now. Nobody needed Coastal, East Carolina, 
and Wofford like the Gamecocks did. And then you get a 10-game SEC slate, and you look at the first five games, and you think, well, man, if we can be three and two or two and three, that's okay. We just don't want to be one and four. You can't, you know, get beat by everybody except Vanderbilt in the first half. Well, I mean, the Gamecocks avoided doing that. But, J.C., when you look at it now after the first five weeks, I mean, if you you just had to be wishing you were playing Tennessee on Halloween again. I mean, yeah. disarray. Uh, old Dr. Evil up there, Jeremy Pruitt, he's uh, fired, uh, you know, one of his another underling. He, he said he ran off Tracy Rocker to bring in a better coach and a better recruiter, and the guy doesn't even, you know, make it through the first half of the season. He's fired during a game. It's when Jared Garantano throws two pick sixes, you take him out and put in – the backup, and he throws an interception. Why do you fire the defensive line coach? I mean, that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? No. Nah. Um, but certainly that was a lost opportunity. And if you're the Gamecocks, you have to be looking to the back half, and and nobody knew LSU was going to be in this. I mean, let's talk about what was going on, okay? Not only was Miles Brennan out, not only was – their defense abysmal uh, the first part of the season and can't stop anybody. Okay, you have the picture that goes viral of Jambalaya, Ed Orgeron. You got Ed Orgeron in bed with a smoking hot 20-something-year-old blonde taking a selfie, and LSU's in total disarray down there. And they just blow South Carolina completely out of the water. And so, you know, J.C., it was not a good look. But if you look to the second half, you know, you're talking about Missouri. Do you know Missouri had a 20-play drive that took about 10 minutes to start the second half against Kentucky? And they got no points. They kept, you know, it was kind of like uh, that Kentucky drive against Carolina a long, long time ago under Lou Holtz where Kentucky had the ball for like over 15 straight minutes uh, and it wasn't a scoring an onside kick. They just kept incrementally barely getting the first down and then going for it on fourth down four or five times and they just kept creeping right along. And so, you know, Ole Miss robbed again by the SEC officials. Auburn, what can you say other than they're in the big six? Because they've gotten game-changing calls in virtually every one of their games, beginning with Kentucky to start the season, and then don't even get me started on that uh, grounding play against Arkansas. Or the holding on the Kevin Harris 88-yard touchdown run, but the kickoff that would have been game over on Saturday definitely clearly touches the Auburn kick returner's finger and goes into the end zone for a clear and immediate recovery by Ole Miss. Um, 
So, I, you know, I, I really feel bad for Lane Kiffin, but I have to there. But the Gamecocks still have an opportunity because Texas A&M's not great, but I look at Ole Miss, Missouri, and Kentucky because Terry Wilson's not doing anything, and you don't know what their season will look like uh, in early December. The Gamecocks still have a chance to get five wins, J.C., uh, and that's not bad, but it's the whole anatomy of how they've lost these games that's what really sticks in the crawl of everybody. It's a trend that has not been reversed dating back to, you know, like Will Muschamp's first year. I, You know, it was a year zero situation, and we were doing the podcast every day and or every week at that time. And I think we understood, look, you know, they get to a bowl – that's a victory with this group, you know, first year, you know, Jake comes off the bench. They end up being, you know, going from a bad team to a competitive team uh, when they, when they could play a team that they weren't overwhelmed on the line of scrimmage against like Florida and Clemson lost the bowl, lost the bowl in a shootout. And I think by that point, the, the, the defense, they were doing it with smoke and mirrors and people figured the defense out by that point. South Florida certainly had good personnel and then you get off to a great start in 2017, like you said. And, and and so so up until that point against Kentucky, if you think about it, and this is where you trace it to the beginning. This, this was the beginning of this, this troubling trend. You know, that game, Keith, the stadium was full. People were waving their towels. Stan Storm was rocking. Uh, Carolina was too open, open with two games away from home, won them both, probably shouldn't have you know, against the odds, and then they go out and score on the first play, which I think is becoming a curse. Uh, don't Like Spurrier used to say, sometimes you don't want to score on the first play. Uh, get a pickoff by Sky Moore, and, and, and then don't get any points, and then after that, Kentucky dominates. Yeah. And that was the first sort of stubbing of the toe, you know. I mean, you, you, you t- it took Will Muschamp after that game until, like, the Clemson game, to get some of the fans back because they did play well at Georgia. They did beat Florida, Tennessee, Vandy, Arkansas, some of those teams that had some real problems that year. And Clemson comes to town, disaster. Uh, and then, you know, the, the bowl game was kind of a saving grace. And then you go to the next year and you got a chance against Georgia and then boom. And it just happens over and over and over again. And um, it happened at Florida. You know, you you go and uh, you think about Muschamp's last year. They finally go and beat Georgia, you know, lined up, only threw it six times, beat Georgia, okay? And then they come home and lose to South Carolina. And then they go beat Vanderbilt, and they're still in the East race. And then Carolina goes in there and beats them by blocking two kicks, which I don't think Florida had two kick blocks before that. Or after that. And the Gamecocks certainly didn't block any kicks for the rest of the year. Um, and so things like that, man, it's just – and I don't know I, – I, I, you know, this is what's baffling. Me and you are pretty good. We're pretty smart people at uh, when it comes to evaluating coaches and looking at the boxes they check and talking about, like, how they do. You know, we're pretty active. If you look through the years, me and you have talked about coach after coach after coach – and we're usually right, you know, and wrong. Uh, I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, we're usually right, good and bad. You know, we're like, this guy's not going to make it or this guy's really good, et cetera, et cetera. 
I can't figure this one out. And, and because the things you look at to evaluate coaches besides the actual, what happens on Saturdays, which is the most important thing, but everything else, you know, it's all in place. You know, you listen to Will Muschamp talk, you talk to, you know, there, there's no, his players aren't like, Oh, well, this guy needs to be gone. You know, sometimes that happens when you got a coach that's, you know, when you're not winning and stuff like that, you know, he's kept the locker room intact. You don't hear about like, you know, him pissing off high school coaches or anything. Everybody likes him. Uh, You know, he managed the pandemic situation as well as anybody in the country, in my opinion. Um, You know, he, I think his people, people are going to disagree, but I think they've recruited against the odds at South Carolina. You know, so I, I don't know what keeps happening. Um, and and that, that's what's frustrating to me is that, and I think a lot of other people that are pretty, you know, that, that like to kind of dig in behind the scenes, you know, we're all kind of like, wow, you know, what, what, what's, what is going on here? And, you know, is he, is he ever going to turn it around? Uh, and you mentioned the opportunity, but the question is, will they be able to do it? Will they beat A&M and then go to Ole Miss and get boat raced? You know, that that's when you look at how this team's played so far, that's a likely scenario. You know, I mean, anything could happen. I mean, it's the most 2020 thing would be for Will Muschamp to beat Texas A&M uh, next Saturday, um, you know, and then go to Ole Miss and lose. I mean, it could happen. But I mean, when I think about it, JC, I still say it goes back to. Number one, just a decision to bring Brian McClendon on the staff. You think, man, that's money. There's not a single Gamecock fan that was not juiced out of their mind when Lance Thompson and Brian McClendon came on staff. Two national recruiters of the year. Two national recruiters of the year. Neither one of them recruited worth a crap at Carolina. Okay. But at least Lance coached his guy up. The dude is a ball coach. Okay. Now maybe, you know, didn't have the, certainly didn't have the A on his, the crimson A on the white shirt or the white A on the crimson shirt when walking in, or maybe not, you know, a big bag of uh, goodies uh, for the recruits. But Brian McClendon didn't recruit anybody. Okay. Look, we all know Brian Edwards and Debo Samuel. He had nothing to do with them. And quite frankly, he had nothing to do with Shy Smith. That was Bobby Bentley and Steve Tannehill. And quite frankly, Clemson not wanting Shy Smith. But you take him out of the equation, J.C., Brian McClendon has recruited really no wide receivers that's made a difference outside of Ortray Smith when he was a true freshman. And not only that, then you make the decision – which when you and I were doing the podcast, I said, I couldn't do it if I was him. He made the decision based off one half of football against Michigan to promote Brian McClendon, the offensive coordinator, instead of hiring Eli Drinkwitz. And that was a huge mistake. And the poor wide receiver recruiting continued the lack of consistency of good quality game plans and offensive play has continued. And finally, he gets Mike Bobo 
and the offense is looking better, but then the defense gives up 52 total points. Well, they asked how many LSU scored. I guess the defense gave up uh, 38. They had a you know kickoff return and a pick six, but you know 541 yards of total offense, and I just don't know if it's too little, too late with Bobo because they are very limited. Kevin Harris has played great. Shai Smith's played great. Deshaun Fenwick's played extremely well. You know, Nick Muse sometimes is a dude, and sometimes he's just out there. And Xavier Leggett, we're still waiting on him. He had no statistics in that game, no catches against LSU. And he was the guy that everybody pointed to and said he's got to be the guy. But, you know, Josh Van's just a, a guy. He's just out there. He's good for one or two catches a game. And I don't understand why Will Muschamp is letting Travaris Robinson call the defense at all. And he certainly was calling it Saturday night because Muschamp did not have on the glasses and did not have the play sheet. And I don't understand any of that that I just said. If I'm if I'm Will Muschamp, I am definitely not. I mean, I'm not going down. <laughs> without doing everything I can. I mean, and uh, I thought we kind of had solved all that last year when, you know, Muschamp obviously, I think it was after the Alabama game came in and, and started, you know, calling it and, and all that. And then, and it, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's tough. I mean, I don't know that if, if I were him, I, I I know T Rob is a is a good secondary coach, and and I know T Rob is is Muschamp's guy, and I think T Rob's done a, a very good job uh, coaching up individual players, and he's done some good recruiting work. Um, people don't understand he's not just in South Florida on South Florida kids. He's you know he's in the game with a lot of the bigger defensive guys that South Carolina's gotten. Um, it's I'm not throwing him under the bus, but I'm just saying, if you're if you're Will Muschamp, you know, and the D is not good, you you need to call it, man, because you you, you need every advantage you can get. And uh, so I'm, I'm I'm I was stunned about that, and I don't I don't know that that's the fix, you know, to, to for Muschamp to call it or whatever. But I would be doing everything I possibly could, you know, especially with my history with Jimbo Fisher and familiarity with Jimbo Fisher and his offenses, I think I'd be calling it uh, if I'm the Gamecocks uh, and Will Muschamp next Saturday night, you know, and I, and I think, you know, South Carolina, a and is probably better defensively than a lot of these teams. The Gamecocks have played. Um, they have holes just like everybody else, but if the Gamecocks get the run game going in a couple of weeks and stay on the field and, and get some stops, I mean, there's no reason why they can't beat A&M or, or whoever else, you know, but they have to do it. Well, final thoughts, Keith, where do you, where do you think things go from here? You know, what's your gut feeling, um, you know, as far as the rest of the season goes and, you know, what do they have to do in your opinion to, to kind of get it back, uh, get the ship righted again. Uh, they got, I guess they got two weeks to do it. Um, so what, what's your take on that? Well, I think offensively, J.C., 
you probably need to see more Jamar Brown on the field, but most concerning is shoring up the consistency on that defensive front. Like, why is Zach Pickens not playing better? Why is Rick Sandage not playing better? I mean, Deke Adams is not coaching these guys. Tracy Rocker is. Yeah. Um, you know, J.J. Inigbare's got to be more consistent. They've got to continue to bring on Tonka Hemingway, Jordan Birch, maybe get Boogie Huntley in the mix uh, and get some reps at, at defensive tackle. You know, you desperately need Sherrod Green back. You need uh, Rosendo Lewis out there because I think, you know, Jamar Brown, Rosendo Lewis, and Sherrod Green are all better than Damani Staley and Brad Johnson. And so you got to shore it up on defense. I think the secondary play has been very pleasing with the young players like John Dixon and Shiloh Sanders. Look at how well those guys have played. Yeah. Um, and then offensively, you know, turning time's got to continue to get better. But a, a second wide receiver – has got to emerge. Will it be Jalen Brooks? I don't know. Um, you know, certainly he, I yeah. judge him off one game. Uh, but moving forward, he's got to be productive. Leggett's got to be productive. And Colin Hill has got to shore it up, JC. He's got to be sharper. He's got to get his internal clock working where it's, a thousand one, a thousand two, a thousand three. I'm throwing it away. Yeah, if somebody's not open, and you know the Gamecocks have to continue to be opportunistic on defense and continue to finish drives in the red zone, and they can win games down the stretch. But if you can't get off the field and get back to you know twenty eight to twenty nine thirty percent conversions on third down and get to third downs when teams just aren't ripping and running up and down the field, you know, those are the things they've got to shore up. They've got to be better on defense and they've got to be uh, better and more consistent uh, on offense as well. All right, Keith, uh, tell the audience here, What's going on on the Patreon page? How to become a patron? Uh, fill them in on all that. All right, so it's uh, locked on the Gamecocks podcast. Uh, it is on the Patreon platform. You can follow us on Twitter at Gamecock Pod. That's Gamecock P O D. And you can go to the home page, and you can find uh, my podcast. Uh, there you can follow me on Twitter at K That's K A L L S E P. You can click on my home page. You can find the link, or you can just go to Patreon, P A T R E O N dot com backslash locked on the Gamecocks, and you can sign up. You get a month's worth of podcasts. We do it every single day. You can get it all for the cost of one trip to Starbucks per month. We do have a VIP membership where every Tuesday for 90 minutes we do a live Zoom call where you get to interact with me and a bunch of other great Gamecocks. That uh, is $2 more a month, but that's 50 cents per 90-minute call, JC. I mean, I think it's a great deal. 
If all else fails, just Google Locked on the Gamecocks podcast. It's easy to sign up. We're running a special on annual subscriptions right now. You sign up for a year and you get two months absolutely free. So check us out on the Locked on the Gamecocks podcast. All right, Keith. Well, I really appreciate it. And that's all the time we have today here on Inside the Gamecocks podcast. I'll be back tomorrow. Those of you that have mailbag questions, I'm holding those. I'm going to do a massive mailbag episode tomorrow. And then this week, it's the open week. We usually go Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, Give yours truly some time to breathe a little bit. So we'll have three this week. Uh, And until then, this is J.C. Sherbert for Keith Allsep. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon.